Hi folks. This bonus episode is part of the Bridging the Echo Chambers project, a project run and operated by a great Alberta-based organization called Food Water Wellness Foundation. The Food Water Wellness Foundation works with agriculture producers and researchers to understand how soil can be used to mitigate climate change, droughts and floods, increase biodiversity, and most importantly, produce healthy food. The Bridging the Echo Chambers project delves into the debate about the impacts of livestock on the environment and how we can facilitate healthy and constructive conversations between people who have different views and opinions. So pretty relevant stuff since the livestock and environment issue has been a hot button issue for quite some time now. In this episode, we'll be talking to Andrea Strove-Sawe about lessons learned from low-stress livestock handling that can help us when we're in these types of conversations. We hope you find the Bridging the Echo Chambers podcast series thought-provoking as well as helpful. For more information about the overall project and to watch a short video on the project, go to the Food Water Wellness Foundation website. More information about the project can also be found on Facebook. Just search Bridging the Echo Chambers. My name is Andrea Strobrisawa, and we farm in Tabor, Alberta. Um, we own a small feedlot. We produce various different kinds of compost. We have chickens and a chaos garden and bees, honey. We do a little bit of everything, but our main focus or everything just kind of comes back to the soil for us. And the, uh, the name of the farms, it's Shipwheel Feeders? Shipwheel Cattle Feeders Limited, yeah. Like, I know you didn't start the Bridging the Echo Chambers project, but just like in your own interpretation or your own words, like what is the project and then how did you get involved? <laughs> I think it actually happened over a bottle of wine with Kim. At I think we were at like an Alberta beef industry conference or something like that in Red Deer. And we started talking about polarization and how conversations happen in the agriculture industry and in general, like not just agriculture, but really what we need is less infographics and less data shoved down people's throat and less shouting down the echo chambers and more learning to how to have the uncomfortable conversations where you don't necessarily agree with the other person. And so that was something that Kim and I talked about at length. So she just kind of took that whole thing and ran with it, just like Kim does. And she kind of got a, got the meat behind it all. And um, yeah, it was a fun project. We While we were talking about it, we were talking about how actually... She, we used my dad as an example. And at one point he had had a conversation with my cousin, Scott, and Kim said at one point it was just getting a little bit too heated. And she said, this is not low stress people handling <laughs> my dad. And so we started to kind of talk about how, how we handle cattle and how we handle people and how those things are very similar. And so then we started to kind of bridge that whole thing. and we kind of brainstormed on that idea and then Kim just took it and ran with it. And she got like, she does put her, her power and networking behind it. And I just got to come along for the ride and sit down with the vegan, which was the most, one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life. 
<laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I think that's the big question everybody would like to hear the answer to in this particular episode. So you, yeah. as a person who operates a feedlot and works with cattle, you sat down and had a conversation with a, a vegan like animal rights activist type person. How was that experience? It was just as terrifying as you would perceive it to be. It okay. was it was absolutely terrifying. Like in the video, you can obviously see the point where <laughs> I get triggered because I actually turn to David and say, I'm feeling triggered. But you can see the moment in my face even when she triggers me. And that happened within probably two minutes and 30 seconds of that conversation. But the beautiful thing is that it happened very early on and I think in the conversation. And I think had I not had David there to kind of walk us through how to get past that, I think we probably, well, I know we wouldn't have sat there. Like we sat there probably for two and a half or three hours and had a conversation. The most interesting part for me personally was at one point, um, Ashley was talking about how passionate she felt about the environment and how passionate she felt about the animals. And I had this realization. I said, I really feel like the passion from you. And I really feel that you care for the animals and the environment as I do. But I can't imagine not having the animals that I have and the acres and acres and acres, thousands of acres of land that I have to be a vessel for my passion and my care for the land and the animals and how powerless that must feel for you. And she said, yeah, I do feel powerless. And what makes me feel powerless is making you the villain or the farmer, the villain. And that was a really big aha moment for me. And I felt at that point, I just felt very grateful for what I do and what I get to do here. But I was also, we never would have got to that point if we couldn't have got past me feeling so triggered. Because I, honest to goodness, I could not remember even what she said that made me feel so triggered. Like when I say to David in the video, I can't even remember what she said after that. It just made me so mad. And it really is true because I went into that flight fighter freeze part of my brain and I, I really honestly couldn't remember. That was a really long-winded answer to your question. I don't no, even no, know no. I answered it. <laughs> no, no, you totally did. And uh, no, 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 I think the more detailed, the better for sure. And I'm actually, as you were answering, I was just thinking like, you must have known that that hard conversation was going to come up in this project at some time. I guess I'm kind of curious your own yeah. motivation. Like, why would you put yourself in that situation? You know, you, you're a busy person. You get other things to do in your time. Like, why would you put yourself through something like this? Personally, I have a personal goal of always wanting to learn more and to do better and to move the needle within the agriculture industry. I personally am not interested in being involved in things that just justify our own existence. I think that as an industry or as a, as a human race, even, we need to push forward and we need to learn more and we need to do better. And so for me personally, I just really felt that that spoke to me. And this project happened in October and I was just telling you before, like that's my busiest time. And typically I don't say yes to anything from September to December, but this one I felt so passionate about because I felt we need to be less polarized. I'll speak more to the egg industry, but even within this industry, even though 
there's grass fed and antibiotic free and, you know, all the different kinds of ways to just grow beef. I've always felt very passionate about, I don't really care how you choose to do it. That's not the, that's not the important part. The important part is that we're all doing it to the best of our ability to fit our holistic goals while caring for the animals the best way we can, caring for the environment the best way we can, and caring for the people the best. So part of caring for the people, part of it for me is learning how to have those difficult conversations. And it's not just within the egg industry, but because I'm a feedlot producer and I sat down with a vegan, we can speak to that. But it's even within my own relationships and how I lead my staff and how I talk to my kids and my husband and my family. I think learning how to have conversations, especially the difficult ones where you don't necessarily see the same viewpoint. I think having the tools to do that is a skill that we could all get better at. And I definitely, <laughs> clearly I could have gone better at. I was a great example. <laughs> and it was so interesting because we didn't really know where that was going to go. But it was funny because within like the first couple of minutes, it, it went there. <laughs> so it did exactly what we were hoping it would do. By the end of the night, though, I was quite, I definitely felt like heard by Ashley. And I felt like we had developed a relationship. And we went and sat by the campfire after and had a big, long conversation. And my son, who was 15 at the time, got to ask her all kinds of crazy questions about being vegan. And she was very graceful. and. She was great. She and I felt like we had like the initial steps of developing an actual friendship. So that never would have happened if we couldn't have got past that point of I think factory farming is bad and this is why. And where I feel, you know, threatened or triggered or however you want to put it. I think that that skill is something that everyone in the human race could probably get better at. But especially in the egg industry, we can all learn to have those conversations better. I'd like to get past the polarization within our industry. Like I read the report and I haven't had a chance to see the video yet, but mm -hmm. when I was thinking bridging echo chambers, I was thinking between like, agriculture and the consumer but then like listening to you talk because you know we got grass fed we got holistic management there's bridging echo chambers within the own industry that we also need to work on too yeah yeah i i tell people all the time like i often feel like i'm on two sides of the creek or two sides of the fence sort of so to speak because i i own a feedlot uh, in some circles that's like ugh. You know, I, I sometimes I feel like I, I can say that and it could be followed with like really doom and gloom music or like Halloween music. I don't know. <laughs> I own a feedlot. Dun, dun, dun. But then in certain circles, I start to talk about improving the soil and organic matter. And, and then I'm on the other side of the fence again. So I think within our industry, we could all stand to take a step closer to being a little bit more inclusive and cheering people on instead of dragging people down and saying grass-fed is best or feedlot is best or omega-3 is that and blah, blah, blah. Let's just do it the best way that we know how within our context. And that's always been something that kind of speaks to me. Like the previous interviews I did for the project too, the term common ground kept coming up again and again. Like mm -hmm. It seems mm -hmm. like finding that common ground is such a key piece 
having mm-hmm. this kind of conversation on a pretty contentious issue like this. And I feel like if you talk to any farmer in anywhere, you could find common ground on environment, sustainability, you know, doing the best for your land. You could find common ground, but it's just how we do that. Working with David and Ashley, kind of that whole project allowed me not only to have the tools, but to practice using the tools tools in probably one of the most uncomfortable positions ever. So it's something that I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't claim that I'm perfect at it by any means. If David's in the room and he can walk me through it again, I could probably do it again. But it's definitely given me some tools that I can practice and try to get better at without David sitting at the picnic table with me. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to do another episode the next time we have one of those conversations. Like, so how did it go without David? <laughs> Set it up and see how this goes. <laughs> David, uh, I have been known to be a little bit of a spitfire. So it's it's definitely a tool that I can, I'm happy to have. Okay. Well, let's, uh, like, I, I'm super interested to hear also about the low stress livestock handling part of this mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. sense that there's, and I'd never thought of this until I read the report, but you're right. There's, there's tools that like we use in that, that, that do work for human beings, but maybe we should take a couple mm-hmm. steps back first, first explain exactly what low stress livestock handling is that we could talk about yeah. how those tools can be used in other situations. Here's my first disclaimer. I don't even really like the term low stress cattle handling. I kind oh, of like okay. I kind of like the term proper stockmanship because low stress cattle handling and it just depends what your what your definition is, right? But proper stockmanship, it's basically using your body position, your angles, your movement to affect the animals in a way that you want them to to achieve what you would like them to achieve but using their instincts as a tool, essentially, to help you work with them. So it's saying, you know, an animal sees peripherally, they have eyes on the side of their head, not in front of their head. And so they're a prey animal. And so how do we work with that to achieve what we want to achieve? And using your, your angle and your distance and your position to get the outcome that you would like to get, knowing how animals see knowing the, the instincts of the animal. I tell my staff all the time that there's three things that you need to know about cattle. They want to go in the direction they're headed. They want to follow other animals and they have very little patience. And so if you take those three things, plus how they see and what they do and take into account their natural instincts, those things will lead you to proper stockmanship. But it's kind of taking, I like the term livestock-centered stockmanship as well. You're focusing on the animal and what it's telling you. And you're not focused on, and it'll sound crazy, but you're not so fo- solely focused on, I need to go and get those animals out of that pen and get them weighed. It's, I'm going to go in and see what these animals give me. And then I will respond to that. Knowing that my agenda eventually is I'm going to get them out of the pen and we're going to go weigh them and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But the way in which it happens, I want those cattle to walk out of the pen. I want them to walk in a calm manner. I want them to be showing good movement and good movement in a cow or in a cattle is a level head, walking, head bobbing, tail down, relaxed movement. And when we can achieve that, those are kind of the things that I would define proper stockmanship or livestock-centered stockmanship. 
how do we bridge that into the people part mm-hmm. is I come to an understanding of that animal when it raises its head and lifts its tail and runs away from me. It tells me I'm too close and I'm pushing too hard. And not to compare Ashley to an animal, but that's what she did to me. If I was an animal and she came in, she was pushing too hard and doing things that I didn't necessarily like. And I got my back up and I I felt triggered. And so when when you're when you go into that fight, flight, or freeze, I didn't even remember what she had said to me to <laughs> I all I can remember is factory farming and la la la. But the point was that we don't respond well when we're in that part of our brain. And it's the exact same thing with cattle. They don't respond well when they're in that fight, flight, or freeze part of their brain. And so if we can keep them in a normal thinking, natural instinct part of their brain, we'll have a much better response. If I was to compare it to something like, I'll go back to my Ashley thing. (laughs) When she said that to me, I was an animal with my head up and my tail up and I was running away like that was too much. By taking a step back, which is what she did, and allowing me to say, I feel triggered, that made me feel this. What I heard you saying was that it allowed us to have a conversation. And it's kind of the same thing with an animal when I'm pulling them out of, if I pull an animal out of a pen and I'm walking it down the alley and it turns around and tries to come at me, the natural response in an old way of thinking would be, I'm going to raise my arms and I'm going to get in front of that animal. I'm going to make it go back down the alley. But what we need to do in actuality is take some steps back and give that animal some ground and some time to think, and then ask it again to go back down the alley. I took a a low stress cattle handling or proper stockmanship, whatever term you want to say, clinic from Dylan Biggs. And we had him here for two days. And if he was to teach us anything in those two days, it was the art of giving ground. So that statement and how we take two steps back, allow the animal to stop and think for a minute before we ask again, that statement has stuck with me since he was here. And that was years ago. That's essentially what we needed to do when I was feeling triggered by Ashley. If she needs to back up and give me some ground and allow me to have a conversation with her. But what our natural instinct is with people is to shove more. I'm going to give you all the data about cattle and how beef are good and factory farming is okay and it da 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 and how we have to have all this night all this food we got to produce for nine billion people in 2030 and right and she's going to report back to me all of the facts that are exactly opposite because we can find data to prove anything but really that doesn't get us anywhere really what we need to do is take a step back and learn to have the conversation with each other and it's very similar to what we have to do to have a conversation essentially with cattle and how taking a step back and giving ground and then asking again, you want the animal to think that it's their idea, that they're going in the direction they want to go and they're following other animals. And so if you're working with that part of their psyche or their instincts, it's very similar to us and our brain. 
I was in flight, fight, or freeze. It was not a good place for me to be, but I could get myself back down. And we can do the same thing with animals. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was also thinking, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm having visions of times of me, like, chasing, like, a steer down on a quad and how stupid it was. But yeah. I just, I think sometimes you forget what the goal is in those situations. Like you said, mm-hmm. when you're handling livestock, like I, I want their head to be bobbing. I don't want their tail to be up. And eventually I want yeah. them to get in, they're going to get loaded on a stock trailer or something like that. Yeah. But then yeah. when soon as something goes wrong, if something goes wrong, like, no, I need to own this moment and force this thing to do the other thing, which yeah. that, that's like an itty bitty goal, but not the overall goal. But I guess right. maybe it's the same with those conversations too. Like, okay, what's the goal of this whole thing? not just talking yeah. to this person for fun like there, there's a, an overarching goal to this like i at the beginning of the video like we did establish some goals that was one of the first things that david did right was establish the goals which were very broad and i think it's very similar like ultimately my goal is to get the cattle out of the pen and go away like i can't waste all day trying to you know <laughs> don't kid yourself but sometimes less is more and slow is fast like, is it any faster to chase a steer down the field on your quad? Or is there a slower way, right? If we do things really, really fast and we have animals jumping over the fence, is that really faster? And is it any faster for me to shove data down Ashley's throat and tell her how good it is? Or is it better to take a step back and understand where she's coming from? She has her reasons. And I have my reasons. And can we establish some common ground? And it's kind of this, it's very similar to cattle, right? He has his, that steer has his reasons why he's wanting to get away from X, Y, or Z. So understanding that and then allowing the conversation to happen. And so that the leads in really nicely to the next question I wanted to ask you. Any uh, beef producer that might be listening to this episode right now and Maybe some of them have the courage to have the same conversation you had with Ashley. Like any like tips or recommendations for other uh, beef producers that might find themselves in a similar situation one day? I can't remember the acronym from the video and I should. The two things that I think I learned the most was take a step back, repeat what she had said that triggered me, which I did, and then get really curious and ask all kinds of questions and see if there's a way that you can find some common ground because that's what opens the door to the conversation and to understanding each other. Because ultimately, I don't think that we need any more enemies in anyone. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it didn't matter to me if Ashley was going to, con- I knew she was going to continue to be a vegan and that was never the point. The point was that to prove that we can have a conversation and I don't intend on being a vegan or quitting being a beef producer. And she doesn't intend on stopping being a vegan, but that's not my goal. My goal is to have a respectful conversation with her and come to an understanding and some common ground between us instead of feeling triggered, which is really easy for me to say, but I totally felt triggered. So being able to say like, this is what I hear you saying is this, and then allow each other to speak and have a a respectful conversation with the hope that at the end of it, you can be friends or at least acquaintances and not want to throw rocks at her door tomorrow. (laughs) Like, I I think it's so cool. Like Ashley asked at the end, if she could come to the feedlot and have a tour and 
come and see our place. And of course, I had to tell her, yes, after January, (laughs) because we're so busy right now, I have to take care of the animals first. However, I'm excited to do that. Also very nervous. I'm still very nervous because it's like, I I don't want her to see things that she might not like or approve of. And I said that to her, it still makes me nervous. And she said, you know what, but we have the tools. Now we can have a conversation. I was like, yes, we can. We can have a conversation about it. So I think for my beef producer friends, that would be my advice is practice that. Practice being able to just have the conversation without trying to convince the vegan to be to eat beef or let go of your agenda of what you want to have happen and just get to know where that person's coming from. And I bet there's some sort of commonality there. And if we can stay out of that flight, fright, or freeze part of our brains, I think that that's where the magic happens, right? When we can stay in that, in that, I forget what David's called it, but that lower part of our brain, the rational thinking part, that's where we can really start to begin to have some meaningful conversations. And we owe it to each other to have those conversations without the emotion involved. Like I, I have my own view on this, but I'm just curious, like in relation to livestock and the environment, that particular issue, why is it important we bridge these echo chambers? Like what's the ultimate good that comes out of it if we bridge these echo chambers? I think the good for me personally is instead of creating another enemy in Ashley, I created a friendship. And I know for myself, I get tired of hearing beef is great, vegan is great. I get tired of it. It's rhetoric to me. I think that we can all stand to build some relationships and have connections with each other as a human race, (laughs) basically. And I think that's why it's important to me personally to bridge echo chambers is I don't think that it does the human race any good to stay in these very polarized places I think that we all can find some commonality and we can all develop connections and relationships with each other. And I think that that's kind of what we're missing in the world right now, especially with COVID and vaccinations and everybody has different views on where they need to be. But really what we're lacking is connection with each other. And and we get so used to doing these Zoom calls and, you know, we don't have that connection with each other anymore. And we don't need to polarize anymore. We need to come together in agriculture and in in everything. Every part of the human race needs to come together. We need to bridge that. We need to connect with each other more. And we need to care about each other more. I think it's so cool that somebody like Ashley could trigger me as much as she did but yet now I care about her. I think she's the coolest person. And we got to have like this awesome conversation. And I learned about her and I learned her why. And she learned my why. And at one point we were both in tears because we had found how similar we actually are in many different ways. And had we not got past that point of me being triggered and wanting to shove data down her throat, we wouldn't have connected. And so 
I'm thankful that I had the tools to be able to connect with her. And I think, what a gift, like what a gift for everyone to be able to connect with more people. Why wouldn't we want that? Why would we want to live in this polarized world of I'm right near wrong? I don't want to live there. What uh, Sarah Ray, when I asked her, it was just like, how do you find common ground when you have such different lived experiences? Like the way you grew up in Tabor is, I'm not too sure where Ashley is from. I'm just going to assume she's from like Calgary or Edmonton here. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm assuming she came from my parents. So like your lived experience is so different. Sarah's reply to me, basically she said, she's like, yeah, we like to think we're like all very original. We're all very different from other people. And she's like, I don't want to take that away from anybody, but it's like, we actually got a lot more in common than we actually realized. That really hit me. Yeah. Well, and that's what I said about Ashley. Like her and I, once you boiled it all down, she loved the animals and it came from a care for the animals. She loved the environment and it came from a point of caring for the environment. So it was just so cool to be like, yeah, that's me too. I also care for the animals deeply. And I also care about the environment and the soil and so much if you only knew how much so i think once we established that it was like oh well we're actually kind of the same and then we established too that she she just felt so powerless not having a vessel to channel that energy and i felt so grateful because i did have the i have this huge vessel that sometimes even overwhelms me with how much <laughs> I have, you know, how many animals rely on me and how many acres of land relies on me to care for it. It's a huge responsibility and not something that I take lightly by any means. That became our common ground was we both cared about the environment and the animals immensely. And so what she thought and what she thought we were doing actually was very different I'm hoping that she'll get to come here someday and we'll be able to really show her. That's really exciting that she's going to come check it out. And, like, yeah, hoping, yeah. good on her. and I'm also terrified. So yeah, <laughs> <But> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it'll be good. <laughs> Just make sure there's a campfire and a bottle of wine close by. Yeah. <laughs> no. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and social innovation labs. We produce a farmer's blog. We work with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects. And of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. For more information about the Bridging the Echo Chambers Project and Food Water Wellness Foundation, go to www.foodwaterwellness.org. This project has been made possible in part by the Government of Canada and the Government of Alberta through the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, which means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3.